It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from Journal.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 51 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. You know, what a great way to end the week. It's the 50th anniversary of Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland, and with Minute 51, we arrive in Tortuga. It's an exciting scene that is chock full of ride references. You know, it really is like watching the ride on the big screen, so I cannot wait to get into this. I'm really giddy Me with excitement. Me neither. Me too. We're devils of flashing, really bad eggs, break up the hearty show, ho! Yo, ho, yo, ho, a pirate's life for me. You can hit us with one more fact, or we can move along and, and just get into it, so it's your call. Here, I got one more fact for today. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a coat of arms hanging in the entrance of the treasure room that reads Marci Deveso. Don't give Heather Latin. Don't do that. (laughs) An appropriate Spanish-inflicted reference. Spanish, I mean. Thank you. (laughs) To the man whose artistic signature can be seen on so much of the pirate's experience. The family crest that decorates the walls of the treasure room are also based on those Imagineers who worked on the attraction. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So they put their own stuff. See, these yeah. are the kind of Easter eggs that I'm always looking for in the film. And then I go, ooh, I wonder if that shop is named after somebody. And then it's like a wah, wah, wah. So you finally have something for the ride. I still haven't mm-hmm. found one necessarily for the film. But if it's in the ride, then I'm going to keep searching the films and see what happens. Yeah, you may find something. Well, that gives me hope. And man, nothing hurts my soul more than hope. I am really just, you know, so, so I much was, the pessimist. What? I was thinking you need to go on the ride. Okay, or get, like you were talking, backstage on the ride. Yeah. And I need you to check out all these coat of arms and actually figure them out for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be sure to do that. Somebody can send me to Disneyland. <laughs> actually, what I should do is visit all the Pirates of Caribbean rides. So I need a round-trip ticket from Los Angeles to, what, Tokyo to Paris to Hong Kong. Did I miss one? There's five. Florida. In Florida, of course. you got to go to Florida. We'll round back out at Florida and then yeah, come back. Yeah, because Florida was the second one, actually. Okay. Well, we all know that. I just missed well, it. I was just telling you. Okay. Well, how could you miss the second one? Hey. I wanted to go I mean, Anaheim abroad. was first. I wanted Florida to go abroad. Was That's why. I wanted to do some international traveling. It's been a while. In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow told Will Turner that he was probably one of the few who knew his father as William Turner. Everyone else just called him Bootstrap or Bootstrap Bill. Jack jibed and sent the boom across the deck, catching Will off guard and proceeded to tell him that he can accept that his father was a pirate and a good man, essentially curtailing any current and future challenge to his authority. Minute 51 begins with Jack finishing his thought that Will can either accept his father was a pirate or you can't. Will, who's still suspended on the boom, listens as Jack says, Pirate is in your blood, boy, so you'll have to square with that someday. 
The minute ends with Jack and Will walking the colorful, crazy streets of Tortuga. Jack says, More importantly, it is indeed a sad life that has never breathed deep. The sweet, proliferous bouquet that is Tortuga. Savvy? Savvy? That's actually an added line from Jack. Oh, really? Savvy. Yeah, it wasn't. Oh, savvy? It wasn't, or the whole line or savvy part? Just savvy. Oh. It he, wasn't in the script and he added it. Oh, I like savvy. It became a catchphrase of the movie, actually. Yeah. yeah. So I think we both want to get to Tortuga. But I think we should finish things up on the Interceptor first before we get there. I do too. Well then, let's get going. I love it when Jack says, but I can't bring this ship in Tortuga all by me onesies. <laughs> <laughs> all I can picture is him wearing a onesie. <laughs> I just think it's the funniest little thing he said. <laughs> yeah, the writers either channeled Johnny Depp so well or he added some of these and i'll have to take a look at this final draft of the script to see if that was exactly what was in there or not yeah but it just seems that that is just a jack or johnny depp kind of addition or character yeah i know he did add ad lib some stuff you know like savvy and some different stuff but i'm not sure about his onesies (laughs) (laughs) When you were talking about Jack saying that he needs Will to help him sail the ship to Tortuga or he can let him drown or, you know, because he can't get there all by his onesies. Uh Uh-huh. And this comes back to some of the philosophy we were talking about yesterday, although we're not going to dive into philosophy again. I know you guys are all happy about that. I think it's really just to get Will to focus back on the mission, this whole thing, too, as I was doing some thinking on it. From his standpoint to save Elizabeth, Will needs to put aside his denial in this debate that he's having with himself and Jack about this pirate deal. He just needs to focus on Elizabeth to get the job done. Jack needs him to focus on the job so he can get over there. He doesn't need him coming up with a sword behind his back just to, to try and challenge that authority. Right. Hey, we talked about that before. That's why Will didn't want Jack walking behind him. (laughs) That's right. He didn't want a sword in his back. Maybe that's possible. You know, but then he turns a sword on on Jack's back. That's right. I mean, one day, and he says you'll have to make square with that. And so he's saying one day he can make peace with it, or as Jack says, square with that. But now's not the time to be distracted with this kind of stuff. And we were talking a little bit about that yesterday. It's keep your eye on the ball. You can put everything aside and put all these differences aside, and you can sail under the command of a pirate. Then we're all good. And we'll just do what we need to do. Then we can have it out later on if that comes to that. Right. Which Jack knows that it maybe won't come to that. And then we have Jack saying pirates in his blood. And I think there's a dual meaning when Jack says that as well. He's obviously referring to Will's father being a pirate. But there's also this notion that Will is becoming a pirate himself, which we have definitely talked about. Yes. Will has become pirate. Yeah. So it's Will's journey in this movie in this transition from blacksmith apprentice who hates pirates and follows the law to, you know, scurvy dog or scurvy pirate dog himself. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe not the scurvy part, but he is becoming a pirate to save scallywag. Elizabeth. Yeah, scallywag. And it's unknown if he can ever return from that life's choice. So he will not only have to square his father being a pirate, but maybe he'll have to even square that he himself is becoming a pirate with right. himself. And we may- don't know. Jack doesn't know. Jack may think, you know, once you go pirate, you never go back kind of deal. Right. And Will, maybe if he goes pirate, may not be accepted back into regular society. So this is a big life change potentially for Will coming up. Well, maybe that's part of Will's anger about his dad being pirate is that he kind of feels himself going that way and he's questioning Am I going to be allowed back in society after I go through with this? Because this is kind of the whole destiny talk. Because I've stolen a ship now. Yeah. 
you well, know. Well, it's possible. He could be arrested and hanged as a pirate right. for simply doing what he did. And the destiny is, it's like, oh yeah, we get to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> Luke sees Darth Vader, you know, so you have Darth Vader, Anakin, and Luke doesn't want to become Darth Vader. He's right. resisting it. He's resisting the dark side. Come to the dark side. You know, it's calling to him. It's your destiny. All of these cool things that happen. If you've never seen Star Wars. You better go see it. Yeah, you have to go see Star Wars. My God. But anyways, otherwise you don't understand Pirates of the Caribbean right you now. You just are completely lost. If you Thank you seen for that, Heather. That's right. So, Will is Luke Skywalker. Bootstrap is Darth Vader. And Will is afraid that this dark side is calling to him. It's his destiny. Uh-huh. And he could be drawn into being a pirate. Well, he's already being drawn well, in. According to the rules, yeah, he's already stolen a ship and is declared war upon the world, yeah. if you will. And the crown, or the crown was the world at the time. So there exactly. you go. And this whole thing, Will realizes to get Elizabeth, he really had to make a deal with the pirate devil. Misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows is what I had wrote, actually, when I was thinking about this whole conversation. And it's this unlikely companion story we find in films oftentimes. And one that jumps to mind is Terminator 2. So I know you're wondering, how, how in the hell does Terminator 2 fit with Pirates of the Caribbean? And I'm talking about the unlikely companions that you often see in movies. So we're seeing that here. You have unlikely companions. Will Turner, the white side of the philosophy board to always do right. You have Jack Sparrow, the pirate, who he hates. And they're becoming companions for a purpose. Each is their own serving purpose, but they're joining together to get to where they both want to go and helping each other. Terminator 2, you have the Terminator that was sent back to protect a young John Connor. But during that time, they actually kind of become companions and maybe you could call them even friends. They're both helping each other. Right. You know, even though he's a robot, you see towards the end of the movie that they're getting along with each other. John Connor is, say, playing games with him or teaching him how to use words and sound more human. And the Terminator is trying to learn from that to become more human, but also protecting it in a weird kind of robot human way. <laughs> Unlikely companions. Right. You know, a death robot and a little boy. There a you what? go. A robot that because was sent, he was it was sent a Terminator. to Original is sent to kill him, right? Oh my Originally, God. Do we have to get back into no. Terminator? Jeez. I got it. Yeah. She didn't get it. She's just saying that because she knows that she's wrong. In the first movie, the Terminator he, he came was back to kill. Dawn. No, to kill Sarah Connor. Oh, so Before, she was So she wouldn't yeah, have the okay. kid. I got it. The second one, the Terminator is sent back by a future John Connor to protect himself okay. as a kid from being terminated. Got now it. do we got it? Got it. Savvy. Everybody out there just, it, their minds exploded. You They're all, tell, oh my God. You can tell I'm a Terminator fan. <laughs> oh, this is why I need to have like a list of acceptable references for Heather to understand. Otherwise, That'd she'll just get completely short. lost. Yeah. Can we stick with Disney cartoons? Disney cartoons. <laughs> I have to scour Disney cartoons to come up with references for all these things. Disney movies. You could do Disney movies for the most part. We then find ourselves in Tortuga. Finally. This is perhaps my first impression or maybe it's a definition of what a pirate's life is. You know, the whole yo-ho, yo-ho pirate's life for me. Uh-huh. So this, what is a pirate's life, really is explained kind of here is what you think of. When you see the ride, you see all the kind of chaos going on and the craziness. And in here, we see a lawless, unhindered town gone wild, rum and women. 
that's what, well, now that we're thinking about it, that's what we're telling kids what a pirate's life is full of. They're like, oh, I don't really understand. But as an adult, everybody's now going, rum, women and rum. Yeah, I think I'll sign up to be a pirate. It's not all it cracked up to be. I mean, not Somali pirates that are death and destruction things. We're all thinking, boy, Disney pirate, that could really be a pirate's life for me. And there's so much going on in this scene, it is almost oh. impossible not to miss all the things that are going on, or at least something. I guess you can't miss everything, otherwise you'd have your eyes closed. But it's not impossible that you're missing something in all this chaos. Oh, you'd have to. I sat there and paused through the minute to actually try to get the majority of the stuff, but I know I missed a ton. Oh, I'm sure you did. We can already see with what's going on, just reference-wise, it's all going right over your head. Whatever. (laughs) So let me set the scene, actually. Tortuga... It's also known as Tortuga Port, named by the Spanish after the turtle it resembled, was an island in the Caribbean located north of Hispaniola. Of all the pirate islands in the Caribbean, none was the equal of Tortuga. Dangerous, boisterous, drunken in body, Tortuga was a pirate haven and heaven. Around the golden age of piracy, the Isle of Tortuga became a major center of piracy in the 17th century. A dank and dirty port where the tides seemed to have swept together the sum of pirates, privateers, prostitutes, thieves, and drunkards. All places that you'd fit right in, Heather. Arr! The island itself became the ramshackle haven for pirates, rogues, scoundrels, outlaws, and sailors in the Caribbean. Another good fitting for you, if I must say. With its cantered, rotting docks, weather-beaten buildings, and odd assortment of livestock running free, it was definitely far less civilized than Port Royal, and we are definitely seeing that right now. Far less? Yeah. <laughs> Tortuga appeared to be generally a lawless place, one of the only places a pirate considered to be free with no governing law, despite the expansion of the East India Trading Company. The scenes in Tortuga were filmed primarily in St. Vincent, and that's what we saw in Port Royal. And this actually spanned the Curse of the Black Pearl as well as the back-to-back productions of Dead Man's Chest and At World's End. So St. Vincent, a good place for pirates, if you will. Or at least pirate films. So like the cove was St. Vincent? Yeah. Because that was an awesome cove. I just want to go lay on the beach there. (laughs) Well, Not with all the pirates, though. (laughs) The other side. (laughs) And then how we get to the ride... Is it Tortuga, as we see represented here in the Pirates of the Caribbean films, not just Curse of the Black Pearl, but onward, drew inspiration from scenes of Puerto Dorado in the original Disneyland ride. So it wasn't Tortuga necessarily in the original ride, but it is inspired from that. Right. I found it amazing with all the craziness going on in Tortuga. You have men fighting in the streets. You've got this peg leg, I assume, pirate walking by. Men chasing women, which is actually in the ride. Yeah. And then you've got people shooting in the air. There's people shooting in the ride, too. Just Yeah. yeah. And goats and sheep walking around. Which, Mi- by the way, if you're listening from a way earlier minute, we were discussing the ride and we were going, how come the list that we had for all the animals listed in the ride didn't have goats there? But we did review the ride and the footage, and there are many goats there. So yeah. how that slipped by. And we thought that there were, and we said that we think that there are. Yeah. And so I just, just wanted to that. reiterate that there definitely are goats there. Yeah, that list. And then you have a man being dangled from the balcony. Yeah. And this lady is putting her skirt over a man's head, lifting it up, and then putting it over his head as he's shooting in the air. Which is really weird, because I had that guy listed in my notes, too. He looks like an animatronic man. He kind of does. I mean, this guy really seems to be a robot almost. I mean, I had to go back and review this multiple times. And when I say multiple times, I'm talking at least five or six times that I rewound that just to stare at this guy. 
And I'm 80% sure that he could be real, but I'm also 80% sure that he could be an automaton. So I'm not... I don't think those are possibilities. Yeah, it's not. I'm 80% sure of something, but I just don't know what it is. Because he does not look like a real person. I mean, his legs end up looking kind of automated at one point, but then they move separately. So maybe it doesn't. But just the way he's moving his arm and rocking back and forth, he almost looks like an animated animatronic guy. Well, my thoughts here is actually they were trying to get this to represent the ride. The ride has a lot of animatronics in it. You have people who who move a certain way. So maybe they were trying to pull the ride in so much that they asked people to move kind of like the animatronics in the ride. I believe that's the case. To kind of say this actually came from the ride. This whole scene was the ride, basically. Yeah, I, I think that that's a high possibility is that they were trying to capture some of that cool fun of some of the characters doing repeat motions. Right. And capturing that. And I think that's what we see. Because we do see, as you mentioned, the man dangling from the balcony, the guy that's sitting with his legs through the railing and he shoots the gun. And then that lady continually puts her dress over his head. You have the guy drinking on the barrels and a man feeding chickens. Then a woman on a barrel, a guy below drinking rum from gunshot holes and a woman pours rum on him. And then a lady throws bucket of liquid out the window. So there's some of these things that you can interpret or have been seen at least to some kind of weird way in the ride. Right. Because I remember seeing a lady coming out of a window, opening the shutters and popping her head out, but she wasn't necessarily emptying a bucket of liquid. She's just popping in and out. So there's some kind of things that do that or are reminiscent of the ride. But the whole town setting is reminiscent of the ride itself. Yeah. So it's probably just wanted you to move more like the ride. But man, that guy, if, if they're ever looking for a robot, <laughs> that guy needs to sign yeah. up. Typecast, that guy could have roles in any sci-fi movie by being the robot guy. We need an android. I'm an android. <laughs> he goes to his thing. Take a look at this. Well, if you even looked at his face, you got his... Nose was. I don't know. I' telling you. His nose I don't want to disparage like the, anybody, but he looked. His skin just looked not real. Like it was an I animatronic. It, That's it right. Looks, now we have that book. One of our books. It shows actual the making of all the animatronics and stuff, and their faces and stuff. And if you look at that guy, and you look at these pictures, you know of the animatronics, it looks like that. No, yeah. I mean he. Possibly had a mask on and he moved go like a robot it really well. It's minute 51. It's I the guy on the balcony who has his legs through the balcony, or the railing on the balcony. And the woman puts her dress over yeah. his head and he has the gun and he's raising it and then shooting it. And his feet and are And his feet up. are kind of moving back and forth, swaying, yeah. rocking. You should really look at that and tell us what you think if this guy looks animatronic or if it's just us. But he really does. And I don't know if it's something I would have noticed before... In just a regular DVD, but on a Blu-ray with really high-definition TV, you start to really see some of these nuances that maybe you couldn't see before. Well, that, and we're just trying to catch everything we could possibly catch. So we're looking, well, we're analyzing the minute. And so, you know, maybe you don't notice it when it's just quickly going by and this and that. But when you're actually looking at every little detail of that minute... You catch stuff like that, too. Yeah, like the Coogan's Tavern. 
that stupid sign. Spent all that time going, oh my god, there's another sign. You know my affinity for shop signs and merchants and stuff in this show. Just like we were talking about the last time with the, or we were talking about the coat of arms that you were just talking yeah. about. Yeah, Coogan's Tavern. I thought, oh my god, this is it. This has got to be it. We're in Tortuga. This has to have some kind of meaning. Nothing. Couldn't find anything. And I thought, I'm going to search the cast list. There is a Coogan in the cast, but it's like a production accountant. And I thought, no. They're not naming it after a production accountant. So, yeah, nothing. Huh. I was left hanging. Again, my Easter Again. egg theory just dropped to the floor. I'm, I'm really tired of this. Well, stop looking up signs. I can't. I got it. Because the one time I don't, it's someone gonna is going to say, what happened? You didn't talk about that. It's all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, but there's so many ride references here. It's just, it really is fun to see this. It's, it yeah. is like you're, it just makes you want to go to Disneyland when right. you see this and go on the ride. It's totally like the ride, a little bit different here and there, but there's a bunch of chaos going on. And then you see the actual references to the ride and it just kind of ties everything into the ride. I know what you're talking about. Do you? I do. Did you see the bride auction? I did. It was kind of in the background area. Well, I did, but I didn't really get a good look at it because yeah. I think we get a better look coming up, hopefully, on it. At yeah. least I hope we do because I was really hoping to zoom in. I think we might even get some cool stuff that we can try and zoom in and maybe read some of the the background flyers and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, all kinds of cool references. And if there's something that maybe we haven't seen or that you've seen that you like, you know, point it out, shoot us a note or share it with us on Twitter or Facebook because it's pretty cool to see all the cool stuff there. It is a possibility we miss stuff. Oh, you bet. <laughs> you know, and plus it's like, you know, you we're trying to keep the show at a certain length and to try and discuss all of that stuff is, is pretty crazy. Because yeah. like I said, there's people on carts are going by there's guy leading goats there's is there a guy being drugged across the yeah, ground yeah in the very beginning of that tortuga scene there's there's a guy being drugged behind a cart and you have people then going by on a cart and with their or horse drawn cart yeah it's really hard to decipher that all what you really want is like to have a good version without all the darkness there just a really lit up version so you yeah. can see exactly everything that's happening and nothing that's being hidden by some of the, the mood shadows setting and the lighting yeah. and the shadows. Yeah. Something where you can actually zoom in to certain areas. and Yeah, that would be good where you can keep that resolution. Yeah. So I mentioned some of the stuff of the Pirates of the Caribbean universe about Tortuga and really what it became. But I also did some searching and how that played into the real history of Tortuga as the real place in the Pirate Stronghold. So early in the 1600s, the rocky island of Tortuga served as chief stronghold for a motley crew of adventurers, thieves, escaped slaves, and even those who preyed on Spanish treasure ships in the Caribbean. Another great place for Heather to hang out and she'd fit right in. These raiders started out as a band of French hunters on nearby Hispaniola, which actually, by the way, is now Haiti for those of you who are interested. And it was the French word for their method of curing meat, buccaneer. That inspired their feared nickname, Buccaneers. The Buccaneers fled Hispaniola for Tortuga around 1630 after the arrival of Spanish settlers, and they soon turned to the lucrative business of piracy. To support their operations, they made Tortuga into a fortified stronghold. Jean Levasseur, a Buccaneer leader who had once worked as a military engineer, even built a 24-gun castle to help guard the island's harbor. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty crazy. Tortuga became a prime destination for pirates, attracting men of rough character from as far as England, Holland, and Portugal. As more would-be marauders arrived on the island, they organized themselves into a loose fraternity of thieves called the Brethren of the Coast. 
and they also developed their own code of conduct. Many of the brethren received privateer commissions from England and France, and they proved a thorn in the side of the Spanish, who responded with repeated attacks on Tortuga. The buccaneers later served under Sir Henry Morgan during his famous raids along the Spanish Main, but their influence waned with the end of privateering. While a few continued to prowl the Caribbean for several decades, Tortuga's buccaneers had all but disappeared by the beginning of the 18th century. And quite a few parallels we can see from that are actually drawn from the real Tortuga history and that which makes its way into the Pirates of the Caribbean film in the expanded universe that we talked about. This code of conduct, this pirate code, mm -hmm. this code of brethren. You know, so it's all of these things and Tortuga of what it looked like maybe in the 1600s versus the 1700s as some of that started to wane. But we're seeing kind of the, a lot of that historical stuff filter into the Pirates of the Caribbean universe, maybe just shifted in time a little, which is why we kind of have a loose time period anyways, which is right. just really spectacular the way that this all comes together. Yes, I agree. It's Friday, and that means it's time for our Really Bad Eggs segment when we share our favorite lines from the week. Since an emergency added a little chaos to our show last week, we're picking our favorite line from the last 10 minutes, so the last two weeks essentially. So let's get rolling. Well, the devils look like you were really bad eggs. We got the hottest yo ho! 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 And then this officer comes yeah, up to him. Yeah, it's even a catchphrase for the movie. It became a catchphrase. Right. Uh -huh. He's just an awful pirate, you know. And then this officer comes up to him and says that he's the best pirate that he's ever seen. Norrington admits that Jack is a good pirate, but is very disappointed that he has underestimated Jack. Mm, exactly. You know? so I think that's a very good point. You know, it's a really good line, and I almost chose that for mine, because it really is just what you said. It's it's not only a catchphrase and describes a movie, but it describes Jack. It describes how Norrington underestimates Jack. Uh -huh. There's so much that can be read into that. And then it also is just a dig at Norrington from, you know, his officer. Right. There's so much you can read into it from comedy to seriousness to underestimation. You shouldn't underestimate an underdog. All these kinds of cool things that happen with that. Right. I thought that there were a lot of great ones to choose from in the past couple of weeks. And I went back and forth, like I just said, from the catchphrase one that you were talking about. Uh -huh. And then there was another one that that I was kind of floating on, which was the two rules, what a man can do and can't do. But I actually settled on one from this minute. Turn it's from back. Jack Sparrow, who says, more importantly, it is indeed a sad life that has never breathed deep. The sweet, proliferous bouquet that is Tortuga. Savvy? I chose this because this is about life. Jack's freedom of being a pirate, his philosophy on life, and Tortuga that he throws into this really represents all of that. It even plays into his two rules about what a man can and can't do because that's what governs Tortuga. There is no governing. You do what you can do. If you can't do it, you can't do it. If you want to do it, just do it. It's, yeah. it's all for the taking there. This quote just sums it up for me. And it's back to Jack's philosophy. He just might be telling us, you know, as the audience... That a life is not quite lived to its fullest unless you breathe deep and take advantage of what it has to offer. Yeah. It's this, if you don't take advantage of that stuff, if you don't act like a pirate every once in a while, then you just might be cheating yourselves. Right. You know, you can't... Rules are made to be bent. And when I was actually doing sales and the director of sales in, in biotech and doing all of that kind of research and stuff, 
you know, there was some questions that you would have to take when you were going through the interview process to become a director, or say, a sales and have a territory and stuff. Because some of it was, you know, do you follow the rules or these kinds of things? Uh-huh. And it was, you know, the the real answer that I always put for those types of questions when I was doing that was, no, sometimes I bend the rules. It's always better to ask for forgiveness later uh-huh. than it is to ask for permission. Because that's how you get things done sometimes in these large multinational companies. You have to bend the rules a bit. To make sure that it happens. If you follow that red tape and that bureaucracy, you get beat down and sometimes you can't do it. Is if you just do it, you can make the sale, you can make the new research happen, and then you ask for forgiveness and then all is well because then everybody profits from it. Everybody's happy. You just bent the rules a little. It's the same thing with being a pirate. We talked about sometimes you just got to bend the rules And when we were talking the other day about some of the philosophy and stuff. Yeah. So I take it as this. That's what Jack's saying. Sometimes you got to let your inner pirate speak. You just got to make it happen. Advantage of what life is offering. And if you don't, then you're going to miss out. Oh, yeah. It's like a Ferris Bueller moment. You know, (laughs) Ferris Bueller, I think, had something to that. I wish I could remember the line. But I think he had something similar to this whole kind of concept. Maybe Ferris Bueller is kind of a modern pirate. Yeah. And that's exactly what he was. In essence, this quote is, and this is where I said you stole my line. Did I say it today or was it yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday. With this quote, it's, you got to soar like a sparrow, a jack sparrow. Something that we can all take to heart. Yep. And that's where I'll leave it. That is my philosoph. This is a, a week in philosophy. Yeah, wow. I'm not sure you ever have you ever talk like this. That's weird. I always think this in my mind. That's you just don't what's talk going on. That way. I try not to talk at all. I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> because I save all that energy, then I can put all of this into these incredible thoughts. Oh, when I said incredible, huh. my my Norrington hubris is coming out. Yeah. Next time you'll estimate me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Michael. <laughs> we'll be back on Monday with Minute 52 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. Arr! Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Have something to say? Then give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. If you like the show, then do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can also contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash pirates of the Caribbean minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, where we post additional content, have post-episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.